It's as if Cool World and Ren and Stimpy had a baby. We're talking Christmas in Tattertown. Hit it. It was 1988. Steve Winwood rolled with it. Quentin Tarantino had a cameo on the Golden Girls. Snapple lemon-flavored iced tea was distributed nationwide. And Ralph Bakshi created a fever dream of a Christmas special. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, joining me is a very special guest. You'll know him as the host of the Bodacious Conversations with Robbie Sherman podcast and Sherman Sucks at Sonic playthrough page. It's Robbie Sherman. Robbie, how's it going? Good, good. It's good to be on here today. Thank you for having yeah. me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for suggesting this uh, this crazy special. It's bananas, but I th- I really yeah. dug it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's a trip, ain't it? It's really nuts. And uh, this was supposed to be a 39 episode series. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. <laughs> well, we will have got this. One, this could have been like one of the most incredibly large ensemble casts of any animated show in history. If you think about all the little players that are messing around yeah. during the special, I actually like the details around the main story more than I do the main story because I hate Muffet's voice. her voice is so grating and i think it would have just played better if they'd given her like a more conventionally pretty voice like something something about the way it goes like i I can't stand it (laughs) yeah it's it's, awful it's real gravelly yeah (laughs) and then her henchman has a similar voice that's like it makes them hard to distinguish sometimes when they're going in and out of frames yeah very strange (laughs) definitely yeah i mean this is and, and I, I, okay, first of all, let me say I really did like the special, but it is out there, uh, and and I like I think I liked it because I just it, it kept getting weirder, and I just kept wanting to know where it was going to go. Uh, you know, it's just one of those one of those strange mixtures where I, I think in a lot of ways he was kind of ahead of his time when he did this one because there is a lot the Nickelodeon later did, um, you know, in the early '90s with like uh, Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life and and things like that there's a lot of it that really kind of reminded me of of that type of cartoon uh and you can tell they're already starting to move away and from the uh that more realistic style of like he-man and gi joe and head more towards the cartooniness of uh you know of those early 90s cartoons yeah um actually is he's as much of an innovator as he is a person working within a frame of tradition over right. the years and this uh this little short is a pretty good showcase for how his mind functions because he's always trying to dust off old concepts and apply them to the world as they are today and throughout his filmography which um is far more acclaimed than this little short will ever be probably <laughs> definitely um, <laughs> it's um it's pretty apparent that he's always looking for parallels in the past to the current day, like whenever he's creating. 
and yeah. uh, heavy traffic is pretty concerned, you know, with how things, you know, how generations work and change between each other. Mm-hmm. And and this uh this special doesn't quite go on to that type of social satire, but it does have like a lot of like animated details that suggest criticism about how like cartoons function nowadays too, mm-hmm. like. This thing is a little insane in its gags. Like it, it is so wantonly violent, and like no one seems to be like genuinely hurt. Too, I guess because they're all junk, and like you have this pretense that they're not real human beings. You right. can just go hog wild with it. <laughs> Which, by the way, it, I have a lot of questions about this special, and and we'll get into it. But be, before we get into like the plot and everything, um, like what's your experience with this special? What's your history with it? I had maybe seen it once or twice growing up on Nickelodeon, but mm-hmm. you know, by the time I was a mid teenager, Nickelodeon had become something way different. It yeah. had become much more of these like youth sitcoms and re- you know, uh, right. teen reality shows. It wasn't really so much about animation anymore. I had like experienced the great '90s like r- run of stuff through reruns mostly because they were always showing them as filler and that was the only thing i ever wanted to watch on nickelodeon and right. this probably popped up somewhere along the line i i've been through the larger Bakshi filmography within the last 10 years or so and this this came up in my head recently and that was part of the reason why i wanted to go over it with you because i, I was wondering if it would spark any memories i'd had about it and Really, it was a blank to me when I first started watching this thing. I didn't know what the hell was supposed to be happening, honestly, because I, I just I just remember maybe like the title sequence where they go into the little universe of Tattertown through right. the book, which is such a like intense bit of fairy tale logic that she makes you commit to that they just get sucked <laughs> into this book into Tattertown for no reason, and now they're trapped in Tattertown forever, and they're how is this little girl going to survive in Tower Town where there's obviously no food because everybody is just plastic and metal junk? <laughs> that was that was my question too. Is like they don't resolve it at the end. She's she's still there. So yeah, know. yeah. There's no uh, question about like if she's going home. She just taught everybody the meaning of Christmas, and they celebrated and they ended the cartoon. <laughs> it's insane (laughs) it's like i wonder if there's a i wonder if there's like plans in like bashy's workshop or something and then we're really going to kick the plot into overdrive we're going to bring in the alternate cartoon dimensions or something you know but it just never got made because nickelodeon canceled this thing before it was even shown to the public really yeah 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 this was a you know i and i think you're right you're probably right there was i bet some idea that you know she was going to be in tattertown and maybe towards the end she'd eventually make her way out or something but you know of course since they didn't pick up the series they just stuck with this little special here i mean we're left not knowing what happened really so I assume she either starved to death or she found some way to to survive on random junk. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> did you did you take humor in how like it was all staged and put together? Did you find actual humor in it? Because frankly, like I didn't so much find humor in it as I did just just 
interesting, strange things happening more mm-hmm. than actual things that are humorous. Like at right. one point, her little doll friend that looks like Felix the cat just like breaks down, like all his body parts just completely fall down. <laughs> yeah, and it is one of the most discombobulating scenes. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like it's body horror almost. Like right. to think about like this little <laughs> like doll thing just falling apart. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Well, he is junk, I guess. <laughs> but but then she like sews him back up. So so somehow yeah. she knows exactly not only how to sew, but how to fix a stuffed doll, you know, sew him correctly because he's able to still move around and use all his limbs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's good that you mentioned uh, Cool World because I guess this has a little bit of parallel to Cool World and that Tower Town looks somewhat menacing if if not all the people in it aren't menacing, then Tower Town itself looks very broken down and menacing in the way that the opening scene, the cool world would reflect right. later on. And, um, you know, touching on the body horror element that seems to be present in the thing for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> the cool world probably had a lot of, a lot of body horror in it, mm-hmm. but, it, it was never fully realized because Bashi lost complete control of that film. So yeah. I, I wonder if this was like an early experiment in this type of idealization about how like little control people have over their bodies, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, he had like big ideas and, and as I, I mentioned earlier, I think he really was ahead of his time because this could have fit perfectly you know nickelodeon kind of i mean they passed on him because of some controversial stuff uh in, yeah. in one of his other episodes you know one of his other series and and in some yeah, of the, the mighty mouse lines, series the mighty mouse right you know so they had issues with like uh tobacco and cigars and a few things here and there but it's like that was pretty common in like ren and stimpy later on so it's literally within a span of like five years they're they're kind of already changing their tune so I think if he had just made this five years later, he would have been, I mean, it would have been a huge hit. I'm not sure what the hell gave them so much confidence in John Kay, especially considering <laughs> what we know about him in our day and age. But they, uh, <laughs> they took it, they, they gave him a lot of time. And it seems like every time an animation studio would give Bashi a chance, they just like short cut him in some way. He made yeah. a couple of shorts for Cartoon Network and mm-hmm. they just got underfunded and they got cut up to the point to where he doesn't even recognize them as his own work anymore. So I'm not oh, even wow. sure what, yeah, I'm not even sure what the hell they did to him then. I mean, I can't tell you the names of them anymore. It's been a moment, but right. those were okay cartoons. They're, they're very easy to find and seek out. <laughs> right. This, uh, yeah, this cartoon has a lot of like great Flesher Brothers influences. And that's a that's part of the reason why I'd kind of like to see a full series of this. Yeah. Like maybe they could tailor this into something that's actually like gut busting funny, you know. Right. And the thing the thing about something like Ren and Simpy compared to this is that Ren and Simpy is genuinely funny when it's not being <laughs> like like degenerate like right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree i, I don't agree. yeah i don't like to give that guy uh, too, too too much advertising in this day and age but the fact of the matter is you know those shows have still aged pretty well on a certain <laughs> level for what they were when they came out <laughs> yeah oh totally totally yeah um now the idea for tattertown kind of came around from uh, i guess in high school he he had this idea for a comic strip called junktown which is basically the same kind of thing where you know the random stuff 
of everyday life kind of got thrown away yeah. and it kind of ended up here. So in a way, it's kind of like the island of misfit toys from, uh, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, and of course, it kind of, you know, Bakshi being Bakshi and and kind of throwing a little bit of a, uh, a not political, what's the word, like a social uh, yeah, yeah. spin on it. You know, he was kind of trying to make light uh, of the the human condition, I suppose. But you know, he 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 kind of came up with that idea, and it, it morphed eventually into this this bit that he picked up, or the Nickelodeon was supposed to pick up, I should say. But this this special, uh, I don't really know if I got any of that from the special. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think there really was much of that there. Uh, you know, and then you look, you go like go look at his other stuff, like uh, what is it, Wizards or Fire and Ice, and yeah, uh, you can definitely pick up on some of those types of themes, and and. Uh, he, here it almost uh i mean i guess miss muffet's uh her her desire to get away from debbie is is kind of maybe a commentary yeah. on something but at the same time it's it could just be humorous i don't know i think that's like a commentary i think this whole thing is like a commentary on parental like urges and the way creators feel about like what they make yeah <laughs> because like jump be. town is all Junktown is all about discarded items. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Muffet doesn't want to even be associated with her creator anymore because of how right. she's been treated. And in this day and age, I guess we would apply a gender thing to that too, because Muffet doesn't like being put up in dolls' clothes. Right. Or it, it it appears to be, but she keeps wearing them, so I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Although she does you know, dress like Santa later on, so so you yeah, might be onto something. Yeah. <laughs> but they, yeah, they have all these like strange, unresolved, complicated layers like, that just overlap throughout this thing. Um, yeah, I would I would say here was something I noticed. Okay, um, there's a, like a John Wayne gun that like has a feminine yeah. wacky that yes. follows him around. And this guy, this John Wayne impression is the same damn John Wayne impression from his third film, a black exploitation parody. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how long he's been doing this John Wayne like gag in all his scripts, but Bakshi really seems to like taking down John Wayne a peg. <laughs> well, and then, um, the Christmas tree as well. Uh, he was had some sort of stereotypical, uh, like New York, yeah, you know, Jewish man's accent. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like an affectation that he tried to 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 pull off. And I, I mean, it was definitely, uh, I would say, stereotypical. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I thought he did a good job. But I've never been there, so I can't say I can't say if he was or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think there's some like good hyper stylized dialogue towards the beginning of it, but somewhere along the line, they just stop with all that. They're just speaking in very broad yeah. like tones and like the animation takes over for actual plotting. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, they, you're right. They, yeah. yeah. They go through a, several layers of <laughs> Tattertown now are awesome to behold, but I can't ever keep them in sequence. Like whenever I try to write notes about them, they just come to, out in gobbledygook because it all flies by so fast uh, <laughs> it's definitely i really uh, I, I like muffet's bullets as well like they're so stupid during the final aerial 
fight <laughs> at the end but they end up just killing each other because they yeah. think they have to go after each other for some reason I, well because I, uh she's dressed like santa and so when oh, santa okay. passes by she goes after santa and they're like oh the the two like things are attacking each other so maybe we that's what we're supposed to do okay, <laughs> and okay. so then they start going yeah. after each other yeah, they're not the smartest uh, the smartest bullets or bombs or whatever they're supposed to be. They sure are not. <laughs> uh, but I guess we can just go ahead and get into it. We're kind of already jumping in, which is cool. I don't I don't mind. But uh, so basically, like you mentioned, a young girl named Debbie and then her doll. It's like her favorite doll, Miss Muffet, and uh, her stuffed little like puppy or dog. Um, they're kind of somehow sucked into Tattertown. Again, never explained. It just happens. Uh, and as soon as they get there... Miss Muffet has like some sort of crisis of, you know, uh, of uh, like an existential crisis, essentially. Like I'm here. What am I supposed to do? I'm alive now. You know, what is, what is life? What yeah. is all this? But I got to flee from my oppressor, I suppose. And so she, she tries to get away from Debbie because she doesn't want to dress up in the pretty dresses and uh, all that. <laughs> and it's just, it's an odd, it's an odd way to start a special but you're right. I think if if Muffet's voice had been a little more soft spoken, maybe uh, less harsh, I think it, the, her her turn to evil would have come out a little bit more creepy and been more effective. Totally, they they could have done like a very high pitched like girl's voice for that. And I think it would have contrasted better with the Tattertown ruffians that she later commands. Yeah, Tattertown ruffians. <laughs> That's like well, a good. You gotta call them. No, no, that's it's like a great name for like a punk band or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Tattertown Ruffians. I I like it. So yeah, uh, Debbie tries to get Miss Muffet back, and she's like chasing her. And of course, there's a, a you know nice little slapstick bit that ensues, and Miss Muffet ends up being flung quite a distance, and she's relieved because she doesn't want to be anywhere near her, you know, uh, her owner. Or her yeah. former owner, I should say. And this is where she becomes Muffet the Merciless, which is, I guess, <laughs> kind of a play on like the Flash Gordon Ming the Merciless, I suppose. Uh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I that's I, I just that was what I thought of when I thought of the Merciless. But she meets like Sydney the Spider, and who uh, I guess himself has tried to uh, take over Tattertown. And he yep. right away, she's like just with her yelling and screaming, pretty much commands everyone yeah <laughs> including him and he starts following her yeah. which is crazy yeah the spider ends up being like used in cool world too like almost the exact same type of spider design yeah in cool world yeah yeah so it's funny how many little like things in bashy's career this this calls out to you know yeah the only thing i i didn't really get from this was the uh lord of the rings vibe oh no no there's yeah. none of that fancy in here at yeah. all yeah and I liked the way he wrote you because he, you know, he's famous for using the rotoscoping and kind of bringing rotoscoping to the to the forefront. And, and yeah. you know, a lot of uh, studios would kind of downplayed their their use of rotoscoping. But, you know, he was like, why? It's, it's a cool tool. Let's use it. And, you know, so he kind of really brought that out. But I didn't really get a whole lot of that here. Uh, and I think a lot of that was because of the design. So like Debbie herself, you know, she got her short little black bob uh, hair. But yeah but she kind of sticks her neck out a lot. And so it's almost at like this odd angle, almost at like, a, I don't know, not 90 degrees, but I mean, it's it's definitely at an odd angle, her, her neck there. 
this is a this is one of Bakshi's more angular productions. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like this one is based around like distortions of common shapes to mm-hmm. create new dimensions for his cartoon characters. Like right. everything in this feels not even on a model like everything feels very spurious <laughs> you know like yeah. they had every they had everything written out and then they just went ahead and threw themselves into the animation and got together and yeah it all feels very raw yeah yeah there's a pretty good uh quality rip on youtube if anyone wants to watch it for nothing <laughs> yeah, that's how it, i watched it yeah <laughs> but at the same time like you have like you're talking about you have that particular style but then it's like mixed with that that old like you said those old flesher uh flesher cartoons you know from like the the 30s and 40s and so it uh it's an odd juxtaposition but it kind of works because of uh how they're going about everything you know yeah yeah and the backdrops have really good dimensions too for the cartoons to play around in i think that helps sell the animation a lot better than another way of approaching it would you know like a lot of the backgrounds feel like big like paintings you know right (laughs) yeah they sell yeah it it sells tattertown on a level like a lesser cartoon wouldn't be able to do right exactly uh so so there's that and meanwhile while uh muffet is muffet excuse me is trying to uh take over tattertown we get debbie who basically is like hey it's almost christmas time and <laughs> and starts explaining to her new friends these her new junk friends uh what christmas is and they don't seem to get it but you know of course they wouldn't they're inanimate objects no. i suppose they have no emotions no they don't care about christmas they don't care about capitalism they don't care about anything of right this sort you know like, right. <laughs> it, it feels like so spurious to what's actually happening in the show too when they start bringing in the christmas element because she's <laughs> just like screaming to like abandoned junk that has no n- no need to sympathize with their human overlords that have like turned them into garbage <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a very strange turn for me. It it really, really is because so she she started. Um, by the way, I I forgot to mention this whole thing is narrated by Keith David as a saxophone, which yeah is yeah. just amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he did what Idris Elba wouldn't do. He went the sexy saxophone route, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> yes, which you know uh, for some reason, uh, if Keith David is going to be any kind of instrument i think saxophone is what i would imagine him being honestly so. it's beautiful like in a way like i keep telling myself like eh, this, maybe this is a racist thing but it's still pretty cool like <laughs> <laughs> like he helps he brings a lot of life to the cartoon it makes yeah. it a lot more easier to take with him around kind of narrating things and filling in little details yes i i completely agree uh, I do like that uh, Charlie Adler is uh, the voice of Sydney the Spider. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and of course Charlie Adler has been in. He was in Rainbow Bright, My Little Pony. He was uh, he was Low Light and GI Joe. That's where I knew him from. Uh, he was Tex Hex and Brave Star. I mean, he was also the voice of the Mastermind in Police Academy Six. What? <laughs> I don't I don't know what Brave Star is. 
it's okay. It was a cartoon from the from the 80s. Uh, it was basically Texas, but like in space. It was like space Texas. And oh, Ravestar okay. was the like the sheriff. He was the marshal there. And uh, well, that sounds completely insane. It uh, is. Let's move on, though. And it was awesome. <laughs> but it is. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> and te- Tex Hex was like the main villain. Uh, there, in fact, there's even a Christmas special where they kind of play on uh, a Christmas carol with Tex Hex. It's it's odd. Does it uh, does it have a Jonah Hex vibe at all to it? Not as much. No, it's oh, okay. uh, there is an anthropomorphic horse uh, that's okay, kind of well, like that... a cyborg. So that's kind of cool. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that is okay. <laughs> that's about <laughs> it, though. <laughs> that's that's like where it stops. But yeah, so he was the voice of Sydney the Spider, which I I enjoyed as well, but. Uh, so Muffet's like trying to organize, you know, this whole Christmas event. He, she sends like all her her new friends out to look for Christmas items, <laughs> and so that that little, I don't know, cat kind of friend, whatever, uh, whatever yeah. it is, ends up finding a wreath that tries to sell him like some cigars or something. <laughs> was... Yeah, yeah, that was very strange. But was... I think the way I think the way they set it up was like, oh, this guy is a bad guy trying right. to sell a cigar to a kid. Yeah, I think maybe that kind of helps justify the cigar thing a little bit better. You yeah, know? yeah. Like Ren and Simpy would just show people like smoking big old cigars. Yeah, they would. It, you know, they wouldn't yeah. care. Why would Why would this be such a problem if they're like posing this as a bad thing to do? I don't know. I think it's still because it, in the eighties, it was still, even though it was, it was starting to break down, there still was a lot of uh, censorship, I suppose is, it might not be the right word, but, but uh, they, they really tried to tone down some of the violence and, and uh, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, P man and GI Joe and all, you know, Thundercats, they always ended with some sort yeah, of P- yeah. PSA, you know, uh, he man could never actually, hit anybody most of the time he just picked them up and threw yeah. them he never used the sword so there was still a lot yeah. of that trying to tone down the violence tone down anything that they perceived as bad and it really wasn't until um the 90s when we got a lot more of that um just you know like batman yeah. the animated series where he could punch and kick uh, uh yeah it's <laughs> glorious like, feels yeah. good <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, let's, let's move on yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> So, um, yeah, she finds a Christmas tree. She finds a wreath. She gets emotional because the wreath reminds her of one that she used to have. And so the toys are, or, or the junk is just like, you know, she's leaking. I think, I think there's something wrong with her, which yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a great bit. And they're trying to cheer her up, of course. And she starts explaining the meaning of Christmas. And uh, meanwhile, we cut back to, again, Muffet and uh, Sydney trying to, organize an army yeah <laughs> which yeah it takes a very intense turn yeah like they're organizing an army getting weapons, weapons like, yeah. <laughs> yeah to go down on tatter town with like it, it does feel like intense, <laughs> like for what what this little special should probably be which is just like junk yeah being surreal and strange like that's probably what this special really is but they have to have a story here yeah i think yeah. it's I think it's very intense that Bashy decided to pick a like story where <laughs> like a, a a doll goes <laughs> rogue on her creator and like sets off war against people she <laughs> has no 
like purposeless other than to like get back at the creator i guess yeah at all she's like no connection to these people at all she just decides she wants to rule now that she's been ruled you know she's been ruled i suppose for so long now she wants yeah. to rule uh yeah. <laughs> so that was an odd turn i did like how uh when she was gone sydney would like go through her stuff and put on her crown and like her royal <laughs> robe and uh <laughs> Of course, yeah, more gender and... stuff going on. Yeah, this thing, this thing isn't afraid to tackle the issue head on. No, it's really not. No, uh, no, no. And then, yeah, she sends like that that uh, John Wayne gun or whatever it is to spy and yeah. uh, take out Debbie. I mean, that's intense. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, that caricature is used in like. I'm thinking at least two other Bakshi problem properties. Definitely the Black exploitation <laughs> parody did, right. and something else. And I'm not for sure, like why he's so interested in showing John Wayne as a feminine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he just maybe he had something against John Wayne. I don't know. But... <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure he did by far. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. uh, they find the Christmas tree. Uh, they convince him to actually you know be a christmas tree instead of yeah. just you know an evergreen that's that's thrown away and he's i mean he's like very bare like he's lost a lot of his needles uh yeah <laughs> so. it's like willem dafoe at 50 you know <laughs> it's still written but you know he ain't the same yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's good <laughs> oh man uh and so they're they're starting to i don't know kind of come around but they still don't quite understand what christmas was or is nope. and uh that's when i mean she even has to stop a little toy lumberjack from like chopping down the christmas tree it's like well he's a toy lumberjack that's what he does you know he, yeah. that's all he that's his purpose and now that he's in this junk town, that's that's what he knows to do, you know. Anyway, yeah. so she's trying to explain. Honestly, at this point, from her explanations, I wouldn't understand what Christmas was either. Well, yeah, yeah. She didn't do a very good job of explaining it. Although she did get yeah. very misty. And as she was getting misty, I noticed the lumberjack got misty too. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But then he wanted to cut down the tree anyway. Okay. Long story short, uh, Muffet dresses up like Santa to try to stop Debbie, <laughs> and, and as she's flying through the air, you know her her little fly uh, carrying her and and Sydney the spider who's dressed as like a reindeer. She meets the real Santa and starts attacking him, and that's when uh, that's when the bombs that she's used going to use to attack Tattertown uh, see that there's oh they're attacking each other and starts attacking each other and <laughs> poor Muffin uh, ends up in jail. <laughs> <laughs> where she belongs where she belongs and now debbie always has her with her <laughs> she, is, she says something like that it's it's ridiculous uh how it ends but she of course ends up with the sack of toys as well at the end so i guess everything kind of turned out i hope there was food in that in those sacks of toys because I'm not even for sure what makes this a happy ending, but they try to play it like it's a happy ending and it feels so odd. Well, I love that the the turning point of the whole thing, what she thinks is going to convince them all about Christmas is she puts on White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Yeah, you know, nah. it's that it came out of nowhere. Like, what, where did that come from at all? She found it in the junk town 
somebody threw it away because it's trash. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, White Christmas is like a classic, you know. It's it's odd, and maybe it's it just happened to be a part of uh, you know, like sometimes, and I hate to I hate to go there, but you know, sometimes like when a relative passes away, and you don't know what to oh, do with yeah. their stuff, and no one wants to go with their stuff, and they end up just like selling it or donating it or get rid getting rid of it. Maybe that's kind of what happened because yeah, it's like a record player, and she like just starts searching through the records and finds it. But just just the fact that she like plays it is so out of left field. I don't understand why where it came from. Even barring my obvious hatred for White Christmas, I'm sorry, everyone out there who may be a White <laughs> Christmas fan, you can enjoy your maudlin schmaltz you know, all year <laughs> long. That's fine. I don't care for it. Anyways, you know, even barring that, like, what makes her think that's going to connect with the poor, destitute citizens of Tattertown. <laughs> I don't you know. know. <laughs> what sentiment could they find in White Christmas, of all things? You know, honestly, it doesn't make sense to me, like, as a Ralph Bakshi fan. I thought he would have done something that'd be, like, rolled over Beethoven or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know, you know, like, what, well, no, no, Run Run Rudolph, that's the There Gary you go, too. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. I could see him doing that as, as well. I mean, it's, but it's strange because then it just ends. She's in jail. Debbie's like, I'll always, you know, now I, I always have you with me. Yeah. And, and like, that's it. You know, we don't get any resolution. We don't know how, if she gets out of Tattertown, uh, I suppose we have to just hope that she eventually escapes. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no nothing, no hints of anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, literally everyone else is going to go absolutely insane on every street and corner that the eye can see because whenever they show people just like celebrating, it's just people like bouncing around and like jumping up and down, <laughs> like all in the park, just all these different like people just doing different stuff. Like yeah. this is an animation overload of a cartoon. <laughs> I kind of see why like Nickelodeon might have been put off as their first series, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's so nuts. Like, <laughs> Well, and, and the other thing uh, before we, we move on, the, the other thing is that uh, it felt very choppy. Like I think it needed like an extra like 10 minutes because it, there was a lot that felt um, just rushed and cut out. Yeah. And I think if it had, yeah, maybe just like 10, maybe 15 more minutes in there to kind of transition a little bit better. Uh, or explain a few things a little bit more, I think it would have been uh, a much, much more successful program. Well, I was just going to say, if they had done this right, they could have had him doing like a special every year. Yeah. And it could have been like a Charlie Brown thing where we have like a new Ralph Bakshi holiday Tire Town special going on. Yeah. Next year could be Halloween or something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Like Will Vinton with his claymation. Or Ah, uh, Yeah. So, you know, I do have to, it does make me wonder, you know, what would you say would be your hap, hap, happiest moment or memory of uh, Christmas in Tattertown? Honestly, just watching all the Backstreet's creations on the sideline and uh, how they kind of play around like by themselves, almost completely incidental from the plot. I yeah. find more character in that than I do anything else. Um I definitely also found the John Wayne caricature probably want the most interesting element of the film because <laughs> to see this thing pop up in this little like children's cartoon is 
incredibly strange and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think for me, uh, uh, I think the best moment, cause I, I don't really remember this special. I remember, um, like the commercial for it, you know, that they, they were going to show it. That's about yeah. it. I don't remember actually watching it. So for me, I think my, my happiest memory would, or moment would be, uh, when she's trying to explain Christmas <laughs> and she makes the little, uh, the, the little lumberjack cry, you know, cause you can tell he's like, he's feeling her emotions. Of course, then he yeah. turns around and doesn't work, but <laughs> I think that's what it would be for me. Um, but you know, it, now we come to my favorite part of the show, which is a little segment I like to call gag me with the spoon. So this is where we do our best impression of our least favorite part of the episode. Uh, as a guest, I'll let you go first, just kind of set up the little scene for us and we'll go from there. <laughs> um, yeah, my, I guess my, least favorite part of this whole thing is just Muppet and her voice and the way they create her mannerisms. The way they make her talk is so terrible. I just can't stand it. Like she's so fluctuating all the time with her (laughs) volume and it's a disorienting effect. And then you have all these other people that sound just about on the same wavelength, if not the same. The exact same and it's an overload of, yes it is it's like brooklyn <laughs> accent like it could have been toned down and played so much better and then the story would feel better because you'd have something that wouldn't be so jarring like, yeah to deal with the whole time um you, you, what do you have for this but yeah. <laughs> well that's mine's actually also muffet <laughs> so muffet, this is where okay, we both hate th- <laughs> this is when she's like coming in uh she she's like is coming in to to meet the spider for the first time and they're yeah. all just you know all the animals or whatever they're kind of going crazy and he's trying to you know i don't know what he, what he's trying to do but yeah she says something like like get out of here you little nitwit can't you see the spider's trying to work <laughs> that the jarring. spider's cool the spider was cool yeah yeah <laughs> oh man but you know it does make me wonder gi joe taught us that knowing is half the battle what would you say is the other half? Um, knowing how to get home from the existential hell you live in with <laughs> discarded junk. That's what I would say the <laughs> other half of the battle. That's definitely is. half a battle. That's that's a full battle right there. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's good. That's better than mine. Mine was uh, so if knowing's half the battle, the other half is stopping an invasion with Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that uh. Honestly, you know, that makes a very distinct holiday special for Backstreet because how many people can say that there's an actual war on Christmas in their holiday special? <laughs> Not very many, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Rob, it's been funny. It's been fun talking with you. You know, tell me about your show. Conversations with Robbie Sherman. It's something I set up to just kind of be a little bit of a vanity project, but I have a lot of cool people that have been willing to donate their time to hang out with me for a minute and go over whatever. Um, I'm going to be doing movie episodes here and there. I'm going to be going through some of the Backstreet filmography, some of the ones that are lesser appreciated in the public domain, though. Right. I'm going to be releasing Frisch the Cat by the time you get this episode out. <laughs> and, right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, 
yeah so uh, i'm also doing a few video game pages on twitter i got uh, the sherman sucks at sonic and i just play <laughs> through like the different sonic the hedgehog games and you could totally watch me suck at them i have a dragon <laughs> quest page I, i've been on dragon quest 2 but i have to move on to something else because i'm getting tired of dragon quest 2 i gotta fluctuate my gotcha. <laughs> habits here and there yeah um yeah I, I also i also do some work for uh let's chat with chris reville okay great cool. guy yeah chris reville yeah right on and where can they find you uh yeah they can find me on twitter um i don't really have a facebook page for any of my uh podcast accounts but uh i have a band page on there if they want to find me through there i have a i I used to have a personal account on Twitter. I'm kind of locked out of that right now. So don't bother following that. Just follow <laughs> the conversations with Robbie Sherman page or the other two video game pages. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on there. If you look me up. Right on. Oh man. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. Hey, it was a pleasure. Pleasure. And I'll end it by saying Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is caroling in the snow and candy canes, decorating the tree, and checking us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hmm. And if you're feeling like Muffet getting a bag of Christmas presents, leaving us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now, don't forget to check out our merch shop on tpublic.com and our brand new website, courtesy of Tis a Podcast Elf, Tom Crow. Later, dudes. I know you. You're tired of the same old joy of human compassion, overflowing generosity, and quaint, totally anxiety-free coziness of the holidays. You need Christmas to get a little bit weird. I'm Craig Kringle, and I've got you covered. On the Weird Christmas Podcast, I talk to a never-ending garland of writers, historians, filmmakers, and rampant weirdos who do their best to make sure we don't forget just how beautifully odd this holiday can be. We cover everything from Krampus to Christmas werewolves, the real winter elves like the Scandinavian Tomten and Nissa, to Iceland's 13 Yule Lads. And every year we share a good old traditional Christmas ghost story to keep things festive. I also host an annual flash fiction contest so we don't have to read Dickens again. So if you're a real traditionalist who wants Christmas to get back to its roots of creepy monsters, acknowledging the frozen, lifeless heart of winter and eating animal heads, come over to the Weird Christmas Podcast. Or check out weirdchristmas.com and all the surreal vintage postcards I share on social media. So Merry Christmas, and here's hoping Krampus doesn't whip you off to wherever he's from. <laughs>